I put it to you, Greg. Isn't this an indictment of our entire American society? Well, you can do what you want to us, but we're not going to sit here and listen to you badmouth the United States of America. Gentlemen! It's a hell of a thing, killing a man. You take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming, Jet. Sonny. Sonny, they said on a TV, two homosexuals in the bank, right on TV. Honey, you hear what they said? What difference does it make? They're gonna say anything they want. Let them say. Homosexual. You tell him to get that right. Now that's 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 going out on the TV. Sal, what am I supposed to do? You know, I can't control what they say on television. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Smell, you know that gasoline smell. Oh hell. It smells like victory. Don't worry about me! I'm Charles Foster Kane! You know, Billy, we blew it. What? <laughs> what, what, what? That's what it's all about, man. I mean, like, you know. I mean, you go for the big money, man, and then you're free. You dig? <laughs> we blew it. Hello, welcome once again to another edition of Cinema a la Carte, a movie podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A. And with me in the state of Michigan. This is Eric. Eric, how's it going, sir? I am well. Excellent. And in the state of New York. Hi, this is Mike. Mike, how's it going? Just keep spinning, just keep spinning. Just watching my spinny wheel on my computer go spinny, 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 spinny. Not Abe spinny. Yes, <laughs> I have to say that. Uh, so yes, my, my spinny, head. spinny, spinny, spinny. His computer started to uh, update automatically. So are you using your cell phone to to call in? Yeah, kind of cell phone Skype. Yep. Which of course, because it's a relatively new phone, and for some reason, none of my passwords came over. Also created problems when I when I switched the phone. I don't know why it didn't. Damn, life really wants to beat you up badly. Yeah, I mean, it's first world white man problems. Person. But yeah, I, you know, no, there's far no. I deserve much worse. That's that's not nearly justification enough for if like this is the universe's vendetta against me for being a a, a, a terrible person. It's just it's just not not even really no. It's it's failing. It could be doing much better. I'm taunting you, universe. You suck at your at your karma. Well, well, we'll see if Mike's here next week. That's right. Uh, uh, anyone smell I, gas? Anyway, uh, 
Uh, for people who've uh, stumbled upon us, Cinema a la Carte is a movie podcast where we discuss uh, various types of films, so thrillers. Whatever uh, we want. Yeah, basically it's it's a all-encompassing uh, movie podcast. Uh, but uh, you can find us at darkdiscussions.com, which is the, the website that uh, the podcast is part of, uh, which is the Dark Discussions News Network, a website that... Uh, is updated daily with uh, news articles, release notices, uh, columns, over 30 different podcasts. Basically, if you follow uh, movie news or movie genres and all that stuff, uh, it's a website you should probably check out daily. Uh, also, uh, we do have an email at darkdiscussions.com. Actually, that's the website. Uh, the email is darkdiscussions at aol.com, or you can just press the contact us link on the website. Uh, we will read your emails on the podcast. Uh, also, uh, we do have uh, something else on the website, Eric? Uh, we do. Uh, we have links to our Patreon account. Patreon is a service that allows you to contribute financially to your online artists, which includes us. If you'd like to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash darkdiscussions. And for every $5 a month that you care to contribute, you'll have the chance to submit a topic for us to possibly cover on Dark Discussions podcast. We take a topic submitted by a patron and draw one at random on a quarterly basis. Uh, producing these shows is not free. We have to pay for server space and web hosting and movie rentals and computer equipment and so on and so forth. So uh, anything you can spare to help us offset the cost of producing this show would be greatly appreciated. You can go to patreon.com slash dark discussions or follow the link on any page of dark discussions.com. Excellent. And uh, Mike, uh, why are we uh, doing this podcast? Because this is actually like a spinoff podcast of other par- another podcast. Yeah, you had to say spin off, didn't you? Just <laughs> spinny, uh, spinny, spinny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is um Cinema card is a semi-monthly spinoff it's podcast of dark discussions. Monthly, but it's not. <laughs> Well, it was never supposed to be monthly. It was supposed to be monthly when we're not doing other podcasts. And then we just Phil's kept always doing a podcast. Doing, Phil's not the only one always doing another podcast. <laughs> He's always the one doing a podcast that interferes. Um, so, yeah, there have, so eh, other things. Life has intervened. We have all been somewhat responsible for that. No, it's awesome. Um, just, I you know. Phil. Okay, fine. <laughs> Um, actually, wasn't it Mike that, that got overwhelmed during the, the, the COVID? Because he At the to... beginning of the school year, yeah. So that was September. We pushed that back, and it was supposed to be pushed back to, like, no, uh, September, October, and then November, and then other things. And then we started, and we were doing uh, Lovecraft Country. Anyway, all of this is besides the point where another fucking spinoff of the Dark Discussions podcast, where we talk about movies that we wouldn't otherwise put on the Dark Discussions label. Fine, you happy? There it is. Right, I think right. Mike and some of the film doctor about his blood pressure. I've also had two hours of sleep, so. <laughs> wow. So, uh, but generally, uh, what 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 occurs is uh, uh, some of the films that are chosen for this podcast uh, have actually been discussed as possible episodes of uh, the Dark Discussions podcast. But uh, as Eric mentioned offline just a, a moment ago, a lot of the Dark Discussions films that have been uh, popping up lately are brand new films and the films on this podcast are uh, anywhere between uh, a few months old to 70 years old. So um, that's, that also uh, I guess is a mark against these films making the dark discussions uh, podcast, uh, the flagship podcast of 
the Dark Discussions Network. Right, and we don't want the podcast police coming after us for podcast creep and doing things that we didn't originally set out to cover. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah, because uh, if if someone does a podcast on all action films and then they suddenly do a teen comedy, people would be be flipping out and say, "What the hell is this?" The same why I'm listening to your podcast, and then you lose uh, listenership and, and stuff. Um, so, yeah. You, you it's almost wanna... like somebody should have a podcast where they just talk about whatever they feel like talking about. <laughs> right, but right. too bad there's nothing like that out there for people to listen to. Right. Yeah. And, and someone may, may, may be doing it already. That That is one of the co-hosts here, Eric. Know, but... <laughs> no, there's no such thing. Not at all. Such a uh, thing. Don't tease okay. people. Make them go looking here, near and far for some weird podcast that doesn't exist, Phil. <laughs> now, uh, for folks who are curious, once again, just to, to clarify, uh, Mike's uh, may not sound as, as uh, well as he usually does because, unfortunately, his uh, laptop uh, began updating uh, without his consent, and as a result, uh, he had to switch over to um, a different uh, electronics to uh, call in. So uh, please don't pick on Mike because he may sound terrible at times. But so far, you're, you're okay, even though uh, a little tinny. I'll pick on bit. Mike just because, like, I want to see his head explode, man. He's about there. Yeah, yeah, poor Mike. Yeah. White man's burden, Mike. White man's burden. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, so we, we're here to uh, discuss a new film uh, for this this podcast, and um, it turned out to be uh, uh, my turn to to do or, or choose the film, I should say, because uh, generally we've been choosing it a different film by a different co-host each month, and we just do a random alphabetical order by first name where our chose the first mike chose the second phil chose the third and then we went back to eric and uh and now at this point we're we're uh at me again so uh, i chose a film um uh, and uh, i guess we could get into our topics tonight well maybe if we have some time later we can talk about what we've been watching and or just general news but uh people are here to listen to our discussion of films and this is uh May 19th, 2021, one of our listeners, uh, Pam, is always curious when we record these uh, episodes because they don't necessarily come out the day after, so uh, just to date stamp it for her. All right, so uh, Eric, I guess we can get into our topic tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 2005 film directed by David Cronenberg, A History of Violence. Cashier. Don't move. Do it! 
They were gonna kill us. You saved our lives. Hello, my hero. Tom Stahl is a family man with long-standing ties to this community. Right now, this community is rallying behind him and calling him a hero. Way to go, Tommy. Great, more reporters. You don't look like reporters. You're the big hero. Really don't like talking about it, sir. You sure took care of those two bad men, Joey. My name is Tom. It's Joey. You tell me. My daughter, where is she? What's going on, Dad? They thought they knew me. Thought I was somebody else. Nothing to worry about, Mrs. Stahl. I've been watching over. I don't know what you want, and I don't really care. You should care about what I want, because what I want might change your life. Why don't you ask Tom? May I ask him, how come he's so good at killing people? That's right. Uh, crazy to know that that film is now 16 years old. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's a little crazy. It is. Uh, but that is correct. It's a David Cronenberg uh, film. Uh, David Cronenberg is the Canadian uh, director, uh, well known for genre and dramas. Um, uh, this is uh, one of his uh, uh, thrillers, I guess. Uh, it's directed by him, but it was written by a guy named Josh Olson, who uh, hasn't really done much more that I know of. I looked through his uh, filmography. Uh, stars Vigo Mortensen uh, as uh, the lead. Uh, Maria Bello is in it. William Hurt and Ed Harris are probably the four big names. Howard Shore uh, did uh, the film's uh, score. Um, also, uh, it's based on a graphic novel which is another term for a comic book. Um, and there were some changes uh, based off of uh, the disc I had. They talked about changes and stuff. And uh, they changed uh, the antagonist from uh, Italian-Americans in Boston to Irish-Americans in Philadelphia, uh, gangsters. And I knew he was going to mention the ethnicity. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, uh, Cronenberg mentioned it himself, but Cronenberg uh, actually never read the graphic novel he claimed before making this film. He just went with the screenplay, and he liked the screenplay. Uh, but we discussed uh, some other stuff. I know Mike may have took, taken a peek at the graphic novel, so he may throw in. I, I shared a link with the two of you. It's available free online through what may or may not be legal means. <laughs> Uh, indeed, and, and that's the reason why I mentioned it because I, I knew that uh, you had possibly seen had had access to it or seen it. Um, all right, so I guess we can get into uh, how we uh, heard about this film and what we thought about it. So uh, we'll go with you, uh, Eric. Um, I watched this a long time ago. I think when it first hit video. Um, I don't even think it was streaming. I think I was still on the Netflix disc plan back at the time. Uh, and I watched it and I liked it, but it wasn't like one of my favorite movies of all time. And so I watched it again uh, before we talked tonight and I'm still there. It, you know, it's a, it's a good film, but it's not a personal favorite of mine. Um, yeah. All the acting is fantastic in the film. I'll give it that. But uh, uh, yeah, uh it's weird. 
uh, as time goes on, my taste for this type of violence seems to decrease. Um, so we can talk about that later. I, but but I, think, I think it's a I, very good film and it's very well made. I think you've just been in like shut away from people for so long that you're starting to lose your appetite for violence. Now that we're lifting restrictions again, I think you'll find yourself enjoying the violence all over. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe. All right. Very, very good. Um, yeah, for myself, uh, I actually, uh, uh, I don't know how I heard about the film, but, uh, uh, probably because it was maybe Cronenberg and Vigo Mortensen was pretty big, uh, Ed Harris and whatnot. And, uh, so I, uh, uh, checked it out and, um, it, it was all, yeah, it was, Eric does have a point at the time, the violence was, uh, shocking, um, for the time. Um, but, uh, now that everybody's desensitized and we can just go out to the streets of Portland, Oregon, you know, it, we, we see it every day, so it's not a big deal anymore, but, um, to be serious, um, yeah, um, this movie is awesome. I love this film. Um, it's probably one of my favorite, it's actually my favorite Cronenberg film. And it also is, I mean, I don't want to say it's one of my favorite films of all time, uh, because, um, you know, uh, it's it's fairly new still. Sixteen years is, is is in theory a long time, but it's still not like a film from 1972 or something, like The Godfather or, or something like that. Um, but uh, I think it, it's absolutely fantastic film. Um, I love the acting. Uh, Eric does have a point that there is some some weirdness to the film because it's it's almost like a metaphor, and uh, there's some weird lighting and stuff, you know, similar to, uh, what Dario Argento does, um, and probably intentionally. Um, and actually I know it's intentional because, uh, Cronenberg says it in the director's commentary. Uh, um, uh, the set pieces are, are really good. Uh, the action scenes, or, well, they're not even action scenes. It's just the set pieces, uh, because there's a, there's the diner scene where, Ed Harris comes in and there's no violence in that at all, but that's an awesome set scene. Uh, there's, there's the, the robbery scene. That's an awesome set scene. There's the front yard scene. That's an awesome set piece. Um, there's the, the mall scene. There's no violence in that, but that's an awesome set piece. Uh, the William Hurt whole scene. I mean, you know, going on and on. So, so the film was, was just really, really, uh, uh, well done, I felt, um, specifically for the, uh, the screenplay and the set pieces and the acting and the directing and all that. Um, so, yeah, this is usually one of my favorite thrillers of all time. And oddly, um, the metaphor of the whole film, A History of Violence, uh, oddly uh, re- resonates today. Uh, even more than it did in 2005 when the, when the film first came out. So yeah, big big thumbs up for me. Well, and I'm uh, Mike, to talking about that because I want to make sure I understand it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike. Yeah, I saw this when it first came out. I'm pretty sure on disc. I think it was one of those things that had a limited release. Um, I don't believe I saw it in theaters. Um, but I I really enjoyed it from the start um and it's weird because this is a story that's kind of been done again like you like john wick right this is basically 
<laughs> you know, a restrained version of John Wick in some ways. And now no, uh, nobody with uh, Bob Odenkirk. You know, we've seen stories like this before about the person who was in the life and then gets dragged back in. Um, it was a, it seemed like a fresher concept back then. It's a, the striking thing on the rewatch to me is that it actually now feels like an old film, which is a little weird. Uh, probably because he never has the Cronenberg never has the biggest budgets to work with, so he wasn't necessarily using state of the art film technology at the time. Especially the sound feels like a lot of uh, ADR and overdubbing. This is not sent to be meant to be a criticism of the film. It's just a weird feeling to it that it feels older than a movie from 2005 or 2006. Um, yeah, I don't think there, the violence is any less shocking necessarily. I mean, maybe weird to sensitize to it, but I'm pretty sure if you put this into a mainstream theater, um, we're used to seeing people punched. We're not used to like pulling back and seeing the guy's nose removed. Um, I'm really, you know, getting in and seeing the damage that's done. So I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but I think it would still have pack a bit of a punch now. Um, it is, it is a weird story. I have issues with the final act, even though I don't dislike the final act. I like the final act a lot. It just feels to me like the story should have ended after about an hour. And so the final act with um, William Hurt feels a, like a little bit like a like a, a very long epilogue to the story. Uh, so it's just a weird structural thing, but it's much more. This isn't a story film. It's a character film. Uh, and I like it a lot. I would I, this might be my second favorite Cronenberg film. Um, I've, I haven't seen everything Cronenberg's done. I've seen about half. I'm guessing. Uh, and this one really works for me. So I don't know. Honestly, I'm glad I rewatched it because I hadn't realized it had been 15 years since I seen it. And basically all I really remembered from it was the diner scene and the staircase scene. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I watched it at least once a year since it came out. Uh, because these ultra, uh, uh, awesome set piece films like this one collateral, you know, that, that we did, in a prior episode, a few others, um, for whatever reason, um, maybe they remind me of Taxi Driver because I watched that when I was 10 years old. Um, but yeah, uh, I see your points, Mike, that, 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 that they're all valid. Uh, I don't know if I agree with either the, the budget issue because I, I didn't notice, um, I guess what you did, nor the, the long epilogue, but they're both valid uh, critical analysis, if if not straight criticisms. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess uh, that pretty much sums that up. So uh, Eric, do we have a wiki? Wiki, wiki. A mild-mannered man becomes a local hero through an act of violence, which sets off repercussions that will shake his family to its very core. All right, that's fair. Yeah, that's a good one. It doesn't give up too much information, and it tells us pretty much the, the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes of the film without going into detail, so that's good. I like mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah, so after I watched it the first time, I 
bought the disc and then I brought it down to my parents' house on Cape Cod and I had them watch it with me. Because they said, oh, this is awesome, Bill, you can see it. And um, yeah, they, they were kind of shocked with the, the violence, but um, they liked it a lot. And my mother immediately knew because of that scene that you just mentioned in IMDb where the film was going. But, but then again, my mother was interesting. She, she was able to guess every friggin' film. And it's like, I, I just don't know how she did it. This is just one of like many. <laughs> it's like, how do you do that? She goes, I don't know. I just do. Um, but she still enjoyed the films, even, even if she can guess what's going on. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk about uh, that scene uh, especially. And uh, I, I think that the, the, how, how things evolve are pretty cool. And, and the, whoever wrote the story, the, the actual comic book or graphic novel, um, even if they don't write anything else ever, um, those points that make the story move, I think are phenomenal. Um, just to know, you know, you know, using the television and someone sees someone on the TV and it's like, Oh yeah, you know, on and on and on. And, I, and it's just, just a pretty cool idea. I, obviously I don't want to get into anything yet uh, until we get it's, into the spoiler so- section. It feels very Hitchcockian. Yeah, all right. Um, like I, I, yes, exactly. I, I could see Hitchcock having done a film like this with maybe less violence fifty years ago, right? Where um, just some somebody gets the attention of like a, a in the witness protection and, or it could just be mistaken identity, you know, sort of like North by Northwest. Um, right, I could right. easily see a story like this. Uh, coming out of, out of his house. Um, yeah, it, it is a, it is a very good premise. The comic, it's hard for me to judge the comic because I know the movie first. And so I look at the differences and it, it's, I don't, it's hard for me to say whether I like the, the movie more because I saw the movie first or just because I like the, the way they executed it better in the film. Um, and it's not that there's a problem with the comic. It's just that I've seen some of what has been done and some of it was used. I don't know if it was intentionally, if it was lifted, if they even knew about it, but there was a Saska sisters movie that stole or not. I don't know. Stole stole is a bad term because I don't know if they even knew that this, this was existed used something that was in the end of the history of violence comic book. In another, in one of their movies, um, but I think what I like about this is that in the in the comic, Joey is more of a a good guy who is in bad circumstances. Where here, Joey is a bad guy who's on a righteous path, right? Who's trying to turn his life around and trying to stay on the good path. And I kind of prefer that story more than this guy was just caught up in bad circumstances and ended up being on the run for his life and goes into hiding. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, and, and that, that's actually, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I, yeah, I would prefer the flawed individual because of the circumstances they were born into, uh, trying to change more than, uh, someone that, happen to see something or, or do something on mistake and have to run for their life. Well, in the comic, what happens is, uh, is that he's basically, it's, uh, 
uh, Richie is his friend, not his brother, and he convinces them they basically rob a gangster, but they're not criminals themselves. And they botch it, and everything goes wrong. He's kind of forced into doing it. He doesn't really want to do it. So he's not a criminal who walks away from the life. He's a schmuck who got pulled into circumstances bigger than he was able to handle and then got identified and had to flee to save himself. Which is all, it's in and of itself could be an interesting story. It's just, I prefer this particular story, the, the movie story. Right, the redemption story and trying to um, wash away the sins of your past. Um, and, and those sins are, are pretty horrendous. So, right, yeah. the, uh, the, the, the Jules story in Pulp Fiction you know, he's trying to walk the righteous path. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a really well, good and I, I, I really want to talk about what the message of this movie is, and I don't know if we want to do it now or wait until we're after the spoiler flag. Yeah. Um, well, pay for your fucking coffee. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. Uh, and and when they say they're closed, they're closed. Um, uh yeah all right I, I guess we could just throw out the the spoiler alert at this point anyway um uh so basically what what cinema a la carte does like most of the podcasts that your three co-hosts are on uh is we don't just review a film we critique and dissect it as well so we talk about specific scenes and therefore uh it does get a little spoilerly and the reason for that is is because we're not just uh, once again, reviewing a film, we are actually, as Eric just mentioned, uh, finding the meaning behind certain things um, and curiosity of what the director or screenwriter are trying to say. Um, so, yeah, let's throw up the spoiler and uh, we can uh, begin with your question, Eric. Now, go ahead. I was trying to figure out what this movie was trying to say about violence. Um because it seems like it's trying to say something, but I, I want to make sure I'm getting it right. Because at the very end of the movie, there's there's a very extended exchange of gazes between Viggo Mortensen and his family. And I'm wondering whether the, what's trying to be communicated there is everything is okay now or things will never be the same. Right. Right. And, and that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's definitely more than just an action. Well, it's really not an action film, but it's not it's it's definitely more than a drama slash thriller. It it. Well, let me phrase that again. It's more than just a psychological thriller. It's also. A drama as well. And the reason I say that is because. They do focus a lot on the rest of the family and the film isn't just Tom Stahl's movie. Uh, the character Tom Stahl played by Vigo Mortensen. Um, so why would they have uh, a lot of focus on the son being bullied by people in school? And then finally, Oh, and then talking to his, his girlfriend or, or the girl that wants to be, uh, dating him uh where he says that basically and we that you know the is this the best it's ever going to be 
uh, are we going to be the same people are that, you know, our neighbors and our parents are and all that. And he goes, yeah. And, and she says, man, you make me feel terrible. But I, I think what it is, is that as Eric squarely knows, people suck. <laughs> and, and, uh, as a result, we're very prone to do terrible, terrible things. Uh, and we're also prone to use our emotions and let them take over and showing, uh, the son, um, and how he reacts. Cause again, he's just supposed to be a younger version of his father and mother. Um, and so he's not as well developed as a human being yet. Um, and yet we, so we can see him be more quote unquote animalistic in a sense, um, and be stupid. And he also sees the hypocrisy of his family as well, meaning the adults. So, mm-hmm. um, cause it think, seems, yeah. it, it seems to me that, uh, to me, there's like two choices of what the message this movie could possibly be trying to deliver. One is that uh, violence is inescapable. And the other is that once you go down the path of violence, it then becomes inescapable. Right. Well, in a general setting, violence is people because uh, you know, the, the most popular video games are violent. The most popular movies are violent. The most popular Minecraft is, is Minecraft violent? Um, I, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's Can, candy of, crush. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The fallouts, <laughs> the far cries, the, the resident evils, the silent hills, you know, I don't know. Right. But, but, but uh, yeah, I see your point too. That that's why I said most because, because you, you still have, movies that are just about you know rom-coms and stuff man eight ghosts man that's right Uh, it's also just a lot easier to program computers to simulate collisions than to to simulate uh complex emotional relationships could be but yet people are more attracted to to that type of stuff uh well some of us are yeah 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 (laughs) i said most people that's what i said yeah uh so, so yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, my, all those Marvel films that are the most popular films in the world are all violent films. They're just all violence. Right. And, and that, that doesn't mean that they don't have any artistic value or other entertaining points to them. They're just violent, just as Resident Evil is violent, just as Far Cry 5 is violent, just as a Stephen King book is violent. So The violent, Godfather. Yeah, The Godfather. Yeah, exactly. So it's the Taxi Driver, t- 10 years old. But... It's just uh, so 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 it's it, it, it's permeated humanity fully, and you even have people defending it. I mean, we all defend it. It's like yeah, yeah, but but it's not real, or, or you know, I mean, if technically, if we really thought about it and boiled everything away, we would say we shouldn't be watching any of this stuff, and we shouldn't have our children, and and if we weren't programmed to be violent creatures we wouldn't have any interest in it in the first place but we're programmed to be violent creatures so yeah i mean 
I just saw Sutherland Green on the movie theater because, they, you know, the old films, they bring them back every so often for films. And, and I saw it, and there was a great line by Edward G. Robinson uh, and um, uh, Charlton Heston, where, where Charlton Heston says, yeah, I, I you know, I wasn't born when, when life was good. I mean, all right, fine. People are, were, were way better back then. And he goes, no, people were always rotten, but the world was beautiful once. And <laughs> And and he's right. People are rotten, well, and I think that's what I'm trying to say. Well, I think part of violence and part of the appeal of violence is that we don't deal with it. Most of us on a day to day level, mm-hmm. and so it's sort of like going to the zoo, right? We don't we we don't interact with animals other than like cats and dogs and gerbils on a day-to-day basis. Hmm, interesting and, choice. And so we go, we go to see that there. And, and, you know, and now, you know, it's like, but it's, it's, it is a part of us. And, you know, while I was watching this, I had an epiphany. Uh, Cause like you, Eric, I was wondering what this meant. And my realization was to look on the internet. What? And I, and, and, and cheat. Uh, I got that one from my students, and um, anyway, so I saw an interview with Cronenberg, uh, and Cronenberg has a thing for bodies, right? And you think about his, you know, he's kind of a, the the godfather of, of body horror, and um, you know, he he makes the point. He says, "I'm I am not an atheist, but I am, you know, a Darwinian, uh, a Darwinist rather," and you know, that the bodies are a part of us, right? Our existence begins with our body. Um, Even if you don't agree with that specific statement, you can't deny that to whatever degree you think we are physical and spiritual, physical is an important part of it. Our bodies define a lot of who we are. Um, And if you, you, you don't understand that, wait for something to go wrong with your body and maybe you will. Um, and so he's always explored these body issues, you know, whether it's movies like Shivers or Rabid, you know, or uh, Scanners or The Fly or uh, Dead Crash. Ringers, Crash, right? These are things he explores. And in this case, he's exploring violence, right? The, the history of violence was you could, I guess, look at the history of the violence of the man, you know, his history of violence catching up with him. Or the history of violence in humanity, I suppose. Um, And I think that was an interesting thing. And that's what he's kind of picking through. And I think, like you mentioned, the ending. Is it this or is it that? I'm wondering if it's not like both. Because things have changed and things aren't going to go back. But I think he has been accepted. I think this is making sort of peace with it. Um, Making peace with the fact that we are violent creatures to some degree or another. Um, again, not necessarily you individually, but we as a species are, uh, you know, warfare isn't exactly a new thing. Um, we are fascinated by, by things that are violent, whether they're, you know, violent video games or like, we don't want to just watch the nature document, nature documentaries of animals having sex, although those are pretty good too. We want to see them. We want to see them kill each other. Um, we don't take a chemistry class to learn about, you know, the intricacies of covalent bonding. We want to blow shit up. Mm-hmm. 
right? There is a there is that aspect of violence that has an appeal to us, and rather than just shun it, you know, we this is kind of pulling it out and saying this is what we are. You know, I like the fact that Phil, you mentioned the um, the 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 action scenes, and you just changed them to what did you say they were Um, set pieces? Because because the violence in this film, for the most part, this isn't John Wick. Right where John Wick has some beautiful, or the raid, right where there's some these beautifully choreographed action set pieces, but they go on. In some cases, they go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Here, there's a burst of violence, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, he said in one interview, he said that um, the scene in the diner went on longer. Uh, I guess sort of Robocop kind of way, and that there were more gunshots, but he didn't want him shooting the guy like seven times because that was too much. And it felt like he went from being dramatic to glorifying it. And he never wanted to glorify the violence. He's not endorsing Mm -hmm. violence. He's just endorsing the fact that this is part of our nature and part of our existence and part of our, I guess, part of our history. Right. He's not saying this is who we should be, but it is who we are. That's interesting. I'm glad to hear he said that at the same time. As as time passes, I find myself um, enjoying gunplay in movies less. Um, like recently, I just watched a movie on Amazon. It's a Tom Clancy adaptation called Without Remorse. And I was like, hey, uh, Tom Clancy, uh, Michael B. Jordan should be good. Let's check it out. And it was just people shooting. And I don't know. Uh, it's just... It's hard for me to enjoy fictionalized gunplay when there's so much of it in the real world at this point. Uh, like just recently when when COVID restrictions started lifting, one of the very first things that happened, it was just we started getting headlines about mass shootings again. Um, so I'm glad to hear he wasn't actively trying to glorify violence. At the same time, you want to make your movie look cool. And making gunplay look cool is kind of in and of itself glorifying it, in my opinion. Um, so Actually, I don't know, I don't, it's, I don't it's know how cool he made well it in this movie. I, I'm not criticizing the movie for not being well done. I'm saying on a personal level, I'm having a little trouble enjoying it as much as I used to when I was younger. So I don't know how cool that like RoboCop, I think you could make an argument, maybe made it cool. But again, then I think it was even fairly brutal. Um, and well, John, and John, Wick. John, John Wick, Wick certainly does. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think nobody, you know, certainly does. Um, you know, the and Matrix the, certainly the, does because the gunplay there is literally video game violence. Mm-hmm. J- Jason Strahan's films, any one of those, or Vin yeah. Diesel's films. You know. Yeah. No. So, I mean, my problem with gunplay. Um, and I have no problem separating it. You know, it's uh, again, people are violent. Um, is that there's only so much excitement to be had at watching a person pulling a trigger. Right. It can get very repetitive and you have to be really good at, you know, making something that's more exciting than an episode of the 18th, <laughs> um, where they would fire, you know, thousands of bullets every episode and nobody would ever get hit. Right. Um, but it's, I mean, just visually, it's a, it's a, it's a dull visual 
after the first pull of the trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you compare that to uh, the Christian was Christian Bale uh, Equilibrium. I don't think I saw that. Uh, which is a post-apocalyptic, uh, dysto- not post-apocalyptic, sorry, uh, sci-fi dystopian film, uh, in which introduces the idea of gun fu, um, of martial arts with integrated with oh, gunplay. Maybe I did see that. Um, and that's putting more of a visual flair on it. I think John Wick certainly finds ways to do it. There's gunplay, but the gunplay doesn't tend to be just gunplay. There's a lot of action intermixed with it, you know, and if all you have is just shooting, you know, then there's only so much you get. And I do like, you know, we watched the Michael Mann film collateral for, uh, another episode of, um, cinema a la carte. You know, um, I also think back to another Michael Mann film, which was heat. Right. And there's gunplay in that. Yeah, uh, but I think one of the things he, Any Michael Mann to have gunplay. Yeah, but what I'm saying, one of the things I think Michael Mann does very well, like, he gets the sound of a gun mm-hmm. the way very few filmmakers do. Um, they are just hearing it as a sort of violent, disturbing reaction in a different way than you get if you're watching Terminator. Okay. Um, I, I think there is a bit more reality to it. There's more weight, I think, to the way he uses weapons in most of the films that I've seen him do. Um, I mean, I haven't seen Miami Vice in a long time. Um, that might have glorified it a little bit more. But I, um, I, I, I think you might be kind of taking a, a, a 10 degree angle turn from what I was trying to point out, which was like, for instance, uh, in the diner when when he he protects the diner. That was badass. Right. Yes. And he was a total badass in that scene. Um, and. I can see perhaps a younger person seeing that and going, wow, that was really cool. I want to go get a gun. Okay. Uh, now, I'm not saying that movies make people do bad things. Um, but can movies inspire people who are prone to do bad things to perhaps accelerate their path? Maybe. Um, you know, yes. it's the same thing like when Stephen King took rage out of of off the shelves. He stopped having that story published. And he was like, do I think it made the people in Columbine kill anybody? No, no, I don't. But do I think somebody who's already disturbed could pick it up and get some ideas from it? Maybe. So why take the chance? Um, no, I'm not saying we should eliminate gunplay from all movies. Cause that's silly. Um, I'm just saying that as time goes by, I have more trouble enjoying it. And you know what's awesome about this, Eric, is that you feel that way, and I think that's what this movie's trying to do, is to make mm-hmm. people feel that way. Because you're right, the scenes are, the kinetic scenes, which are sl- uh, short and and rest of violence, as Mike mentioned, mm-hmm. are, quote-unquote, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and and whatnot. But, and, and you know, even... even um, um, the, you know, the press in the film, you know, you know, or promote him as a hero and all that, right. which, which he was and so on and so forth. Right. Right. But, and he's the one that's, that's stable out of everybody because he says, uh, I just did it. You know, it was an instinct. Uh, no one should, you know, have to do this. You know, I'm not a hero. Mm-hmm. You know, well, other people are calling him the hero and it's like, uh, no, I didn't want to be in the situation in the first place. Um, but I think you're, what you're 
saying is exactly right, which is the violence is adored by viewership and, and including in this film in Cronenberg's film. And he, he readily admits it in his, in his um, commentary, but he wants people to think and stop like you and think exactly what you thought. Um, but we just got to make sure we don't go too far because then we're going to be trying to say Judas priest and Ozzy Osbourne are, are trying to tell people to kill oh, themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Right. Well, I mean, we, we live, there are violent people in the world. There always have been, you know, there, there wasn't, well, and there probably always will be. And there probably always will be. And, and so, and these are, you know, not deflecting. Um, these are issues that will always probably be with us to some degree or another. You know, and certainly when you look at uh, a lot of these mass killings, um, for most of them, a big issue is other mass killings. They want to run up the score. They want to build, you know, beat mm-hmm. like, you know, Klebold and Harris and, and what have you. Um, that is a big thing for a lot of these these spree killers um, is the attention that they get in the media. So some news outlets now will refuse to mention the name of the latest shooter to try to make not them give them the attention they're seeking. Right. Not give them that attention that they want. Um, certainly with the Columbine case, when you look at everything that they had planned to do that they didn't get to, mm-hmm. they really had these delusions of grandeur. Um, there are all sorts of issues and, and some of it's definitely mental health issues. Uh, some of it is, you know, is, you know, the, the, the legal and irresponsible use of firearms, you know, and then you get people who drive into crowds and, you know, Christmas markets, um, street fairs, <laughs> right. You right. Know, and, for, for, and some of them do it like in, in France and in, in Germany, that's happened a number of times. And that was for quote unquote causes. So, well, yeah, go on. Yep. I, I was just going to say, but I think it's, it's, uh, I think he built some of that into the story of this movie as well because the father committing the acts of violence if that hadn't happened if the son hadn't seen that happened does the son get into the fight at school does the son pick up a gun later in the movie you know it's interesting to think about whether whether that was uh well an influence on the character or not well well the gun Definitely not, because the, that was only because he saw his father about to be killed, so he, he grabbed a gun. And so you could technically say that was a self-defense move, even mm-hmm. if it, le- it it all started because of the robbery, you know, because, because one, it was a chain of events. Mm-hmm. But the bullying thing, yeah, he probably wouldn't have beaten up the bully. But again, even when I first watched this film back then, I was like in my mind saying, yeah, beat the hell out of him. <laughs> and because the the kid was, a, uh, again, I'm, I don't want to say sociopath, but, but the kid was just a total He's rotten dead. human He's being. Pure, yeah, pure rotten human being. And I, I mean, I don't know about other people, but I've had my points. I, I used to work at a deli and this guy just used to you know, uh, bother me continuously. And so one day I was calm. I didn't even yell at him. I just said, you know what? After work, let's just go outside and, and we'll fight. And he suddenly was shocked. He was what? I go, well, I mean, all you do is bother me, man. And, and I don't like it. And you won't stop when I tell you to stop. I don't ever fight back. I never insult you back. But I'm not taking it anymore. And if you want, 
Uh, actually, uh, you know, let's just do it out. And he he chickened out. He backed down. And then after that, he never <laughs> bothered me again. And 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 the thing is, is that this kid here was just getting bothered by this kid continuously. And and eventually, you have a breaking point. Like when I got suspended for school from school for a week, it was because the kid that w- was bothering me took my book, Watership Down, and he story. Yeah, he he wrote in it, and and I just snapped. And, and so I, I don't know. I actually, you know, so I, I don't know if his, the, the crime, I mean, the, the robbery didn't happen. The kid still could have snapped, you know, because you, you, you got a breaking point sometimes. Well, I know. I, well, that, and that's the question I'm asking is, is would it have happened anyway? Well, I think there's always going to be, um, people who need to get themselves killed. Um, <laughs> there's, there's always, bad people it's unfortunate and i know there's people who want to be pollyannish or they want but there are certain people that they only understand violence and there are times when violence is called for Mm -hmm. um you know there are there are just certain times and certain circumstances where you can't talk the person down um like when a film makes us watch the giant right well you know that was blind that was blind yeah so um, and, and that happens of this kid who is picking on, was it Jack mm-hmm. was picking on Jack. He wasn't going to stop. All right. Um, and speaking from the point of view of, of an educator, you know, you, there's only so much you can do. You want to step in and say, you have to stop picking on Jack. That's only going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, and I'm not going to say that kids who are bullied do not bring it on themselves, but bullies pick on certain kids because they don't know how to stop it, because they don't stand up for themselves, because they can't, because they lack the social skills to handle them, and that makes them an even more ripe target, and the bully is going to keep going after that. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the the target, the bullied kid is not responsible for that is not responsible for inviting it the other kid being an asshole but if he tried doing that with someone else someone who was maybe more socially adept or better able to handle it it might stop um and in this case the kid kicked his ass and that got him to stop (laughs) maybe if he had not been letting it carry on as long as it had there were other ways to do it but this is the way he had to stop it and you know what if it's a case of never being picked on again it's going to be worth the week out of school he's going to get. <laughs> Sometimes you have to let people solve their own issues. And I'm not endorsing violence. I'm just saying that, eh, well, sometimes you do got to endorse the violence. Well, well, and, and that's the thing is that there was violence every day with Jack because this kid was riding him over and over and over. So whether huh. it was physical violence, which some of it was, you know, uh, noogies and whatever else he did to him, there was also mental violence you know, which is which is can be even more dangerous than physical violence because it can make people, you know, I mean, in this day and age, you know, with cyberbullying, people suicide and and all that. So, he, he, so even though he fought back and he beat the kid up and put him in the hospital, if he didn't do it, he would have been getting mental and physical violence the very next day from the same kid. 
And, and 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 we know that kids care, that human beings carry their childhood trauma with them way longer right, than they do with shit that happens when they're an adult. And so the bully some may not be intending to inflict lifelong problems. What? Some people are still mad about Watership Down. Some people are still mad about Watership Down, yes. Some people are still mad about the giant. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, no, and that, that's a fair point, too. You're right, Mike. Um, you know, just as children are able to learn foreign languages much easier than adults and very young children, the, those same children are also the ones that can be scarred if they have shitty parents at that age or if a traumatic experience happens to them at that age. Um, and and so you're right, the, the, the childhood wounds are, or if you prefer demons, uh, follow people into their adult life. And a lot of their peoples that are, have problems as adults are directly related to their childhood and not what's happening to them specifically as an adult. And, and that, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but those defining moments in a person's life um, are enough to determine your I guess happiness as an adult and and so this Jack kid um, you know he, he, he smokes smokes out this, this this bully takes him down and then he gets attacked by his parents for doing it and and you know it makes sense you know parents can do that but to him it doesn't make any sense at all because he's he's like yeah but the first of all the parents weren't there second of all it was self-defense, you could argue. And and third of all, which is what I always say, actions result in reactions. And if the bully didn't bother him, the bully wouldn't be in the hospital. And and so he, that's how he's thinking. And he's trying to explain to his parents, and his parents are, are not dense, but they're all they're thinking of is we could have a lawsuit because of what you did. Without looking at the, the son's reason why it happened, and trying to sit him down and saying, okay, what you did, I know how you did it. However, let's go over it and see if we could think of another way if this ever happens again in a situation but, you're in. But I wasn't litigating the rightness or wrongness of his actions. What I was wondering about is whether or not he was inspired by seeing his father commit an act of violence. Well, I think it is. I think there's parallels, right? Because mm-hmm. – What's happening with with Tom or Joey parallels what's going on with the son, you know, and that the Tom's being harassed by Ed Harris. Right now, whatever the history is, and like we have no idea what the history is with with Jack and his bully either. Why the bully decided to pick on this particular guy. Um, but now, in this case, Ed Harris has a reason to go after Joey um, because he scarred up his face and took his eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it was a made man, and, and a non-made man isn't supposed to do anything to a made man, right? As and there's we, all sorts of things. With, uh, Joe Pesci and in uh, Goodfellas, but anyway, continue. Right, but he, the kid, sees his father stand up to bullies. The two, I mean, not directly, but knows his father stood up to the two schmucks in the in the diner, right? Yeah. The diner. I mean, the, the one shoots a little girl at the beginning of the film. Um, he's clearly, they clearly are going to murder everybody in the diner because they don't have any money and we know well, they will not leave a witness behind. 
and we already know that they they took out everybody at the motel earlier because even or everybody who saw them, including yeah. the little girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, but even then yeah, she it, was asking for it. No, but but even killing the little girl, even before they killed the little girl, they had already killed the maid and and the counter clerk, and and we you know and the the best line of that that whole scene was when he goes, uh, yeah, did you check out? Yeah, don't worry about whatever he said. You know, basically he alluded to he did, and then when you, the guy goes in. His partner goes in. They're all dead, <laughs> you know, and so. Well, he makes a comment about how long it took, you know, and, you know, yeah. I've checked out of hotels. That was about as quick as you can normally do without actually murdering everybody in the room. Um, yeah. So that so, yeah. What would have been the result? You know, so it kind of goes if this kid hadn't learned right. to stand up to the bully, the father would have been dead because he would have been killed. Right. Right. Yeah. You're right. Absolutely right. If. The father didn't do what he did in the diner. Everybody in the diner would have been executed by these two criminals. So in other words, these two criminals were going to kill the young uh, high school couple that were there eating shakes. They would have killed the waitress. They would have killed the cook. And they would have killed Tom as well. And his actions were, again, reactions to these scumbags. If these scumbags... Even if they are mass murderers, if these scumbags said, just took the coffee or just said, oh, okay, you're closed, they would still be alive today. Right. And, you know, we, we so you have here, you know, the issue with gun violence. You know, if people just got guns for self-protection, I don't think there would be nearly that big of an issue. The problem is dumbasses would get their guns to murder people. Um. The uh, Tom and Jack use guns to defend friends and loved ones. Right. Well, you, know, you they also got to remember, Mike. Even in the yeah. diner scene, it wasn't just guns because they were going to knife. It was coffee. No, no, no. Even before that, they were going to knife the waitress. He said. He said. He says, "Do her," to, uh, and he pulls out a knife. I think doesn't he? And he was going to stab her to death. I don't remember, but yeah, but regardless, it's a weapon, yeah. right? And a weapon is a weapon. Some weapons are more efficient than others. You have to pick the right weapon for the job. A hand grenade in the diner probably would have been a bad idea. Um, you know, and, and again, there's always things can go too far, but it's, they use it to defend themselves. They use it to defend others. And if they hadn't, then they would have been dead. Um, now, they wouldn't maybe have had to do that. You could argue if the bad guys didn't have guns, too. You know, and they get into that circular argument of cause and effect, right? And that's why the issue is such a, uh, a thorny one, you know, is that some people want to take the guns away from the bad guys and some people don't see themselves in bad guys and want to have the guns to protect themselves from the bad guys. And you just get on and on and on. And that's an issue we are not going to settle here on the Dark Discussions podcast. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, the it's Cinema a Kurt podcast. Or on the Cinema Alec Kurt podcast. Right. I mean, it, it's well, anybody would listen to that. I, I, put it this way. Let's just say there's no guns. You're going to have people who are going to do terrible things to other people, even without guns. So the people who, who are quote unquote, the good people or the victims say, you know what? I need to protect myself. So they buy the guns. Then the, the, the bad people, the bullies say, Oh, you know what? Even more effective than clubbing people over the head with, with baseball bats is a gun. So they get a gun. And then the, then the next person, 
the victims again say, oh, I, I don't just need a, a pistol now. I need a shot, double barrel shotgun, you know, and on and on. So, so if the, there weren't bad people in the first place, the good people wouldn't want to buy the guns. Right. And you always have the, the problem of vigilante action, you know, and like they're a good example of being this, uh, what was it, Wisconsin, this dumbass kid who went to go protect other people's property during the, the, the Black Lives Matter protests and ended up shooting two people. And I don't want to litigate that here, but what the I hell mean, is wrong those, with the, those? Those two people were very bad people, but yes, we, we don't. Yeah, have but to. What, but I'm not getting into that. The question is, why the hell did a parent let this 17 year old kid go put himself in harm's way? You know, over that, you are not legally authorized to go use violence to in this country to go protect someone's home proactively like that. Um, that's not the same. That's not the thing. He was he by doing that, he was inviting violence. Oh yeah, just um, just, just to show up. You're inviting violence. If you stayed at home, you know, playing playing with your kids or playing a video game or watching a movie, unless someone came into your house, the mob came to your house, you'd be fine. But yes, if you go to the riot, even if you're there to quote unquote do something good, you're opening up the chance that you could be stuck in the middle of a law enforcement issue right let's be honest the second you put on the cape and the bat ears you're going to go out looking for somebody to punch right <laughs> right just like we saw in super right yep. well let's be honest we all want to punch kevin bacon at some point or another Nah, well, that, kevin bacon's know. okay nick cage yeah. is one that needs to be punched <laughs> yeah kevin bacon kevin bacon's good i, I like kevin bacon. anyway uh, no so i'm just saying so yeah, so in this case, though, the violence comes to them. Joey's walked away from the life. He's had nothing to do with it. It comes to him. Now, it's, again, his past violence that's doing it. You can get into the argument this is this never-ending cycle. Um, and I think that is a part of it, right? That violence begets violence. But, you know, there's only so much you can do to break that cycle. Someone is intent on killing you because of the thing that you've done or that your ancestors have done because of some slight that happened, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys, some people you can break, you, you can hug it out. And some people you put the gun down, they just say, well, thank you for making it a lot easier for me. Life is complicated and no movie's ever going to give us the answer. If you don't stop and look around on us every once in a while, it might pass you by. Uh, Woody Woodpecker? <laughs> Ferris Bueller. Close. Ah, yes. Um, or sometimes you just got to say, what the fuck? Indeed. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's that, that's the thing. Now, what, let's talk about uh, Tom Stahl for a second, because uh, basically what, to just clarify, obviously, Tom Stahl is an owner of a diner, he married a woman who is a local town lawyer. Uh, the town is... Uh, a very teeny town in the middle of, I think, Indiana. Um, so, you know, you know, maybe like 3,000 people or something. So it's it's not oddly bizarre that a diner owner would be married to a lawyer uh, in this town because, again, uh, everybody is um, uh, not not as, uh, I guess, New York-y, uh, NYC-like where there's class 
systems. Um, either, either way, um, Tom has a, uh, a hidden life. He is a mobster from the Irish mob of Philadelphia who has left the life uh, originally known as Joey Cusack. And uh, he found a, uh, uh, a quote-unquote available name uh, Thomas Stahl, and he became Thomas Stahl. Uh, he married uh, his wife, Edie, who uh, doesn't know anything about his prior life. Uh, he has a family with Edie, and um, they're all known as the, the Stahl family. Um, the thing about Tom Stahl, or Joey Cusack, is that we don't know, first of all, we don't learn enough about his history, but you can assume he was born into a Irish criminal family, part of the Irish mob, and he just became a mobster, probably young, and uh, eventually, you know, he did stupid things, plus he did mobster things. And then one day, who knows what it was, maybe he he saw a pretty woman, maybe uh, a raindrop fell on his head and, and he just woke up. Maybe he actually decided to become a Catholic uh, because most likely he was an Irish Catholic. And he just said, you know what? This ain't for me. And he, he bails. Uh, or, or he may have done what he did to that Harris character, Fogarty. And he said, holy shit, they're going to go they're after me. And he just bailed. But either way, he decides to straighten his life and become a normal human being. And I believe it's genuine because I think the life he had prior was a life that was because of the, the family he was from, while now he's deciding to make the person that he wants to be with this renewal by taking Tom Stahl's name. And so I'm thinking that he's more Tom Stahl than Joey Cusack and Joey Cusack is just because that's just a random bad luck that he was born into that crappy family. I don't know your guys thoughts. I don't disagree with any of that. What about you, Mike? Do you you think he is the more, more Tom Stahl? I mean, he's been married to Edie for a while. She's, they have kids that are te- one's a teenager in high school, so and he hasn't been a criminal. So that means he hasn't been a criminal for at least eight, you know, seventeen years. Maybe eight, I'll say nineteen years because let's say he dated for three years, he got married, and the kid's sixteen. So, so I, I think I think he's a hundred percent Tom Stahl, and he's a hundred percent Joey. Right? He is who he is. That's always a part of him. None of us are the person we were twenty years ago, but we still carry that person around with us. Right? Um, we all make decisions that are good or bad decisions for some weird ass reason. We all decided to podcast 10 years ago (laughs) and for better or worse, that has changed the trajectory trajectory of our lives to, to whether to a great degree or a small degree. And therefore it has in some way, shape or form influenced who we are, but it doesn't mean we're not the person we were then either. That person got carried along with us. We've just layered shit on top of it. Um, you know, and he buried Joey 
because he wanted to turn the page and, you know, turn a new leaf. This is like anybody who was like an alcoholic or has a gambling addiction or has some other problem they're trying to put behind them. Or maybe, you know, they had a disease that they recovered from. They don't want to go back, but you'll always carry that with you. You know, he clearly had very little trouble going back to being Joey when the when the, the need arose. Um, you know, but he didn't not have by to, choice, not by choice. No, but it, he was he was still at hand, right? He was still there. Well, it's kind of, yeah, but it's kind of like if you know, I haven't you know, I took like ten years off from skiing, and then one day I, I a buddy of mine said, "Hey, let's go skiing." So I said, "All right, rent the skis," and it was like I never left the slopes. But so so in other words, you, you know, like or you know, if you swim or you ride a bike or or you drive a stick shift or you ski. And, you know, I haven't driven a stick shift for five years, but if I got in a, a car uh, with a stick shift, uh, I would have no problems driving it. So I don't think I, – I think it's more like that than than I, what you're trying to say, maybe? Well, I'm just saying it's all, part, it's all the same person. Whatever name he wants to use, I think he's the same guy. It's yeah. all in there. It's still in there. Right, because um, she even says it, his wife. Do you dream – of as Tom Stall, do you dream as Joey? You know, and that was like a shot, but but it makes it's it's a good point, which is he's still Joey, right? Right, but I'd also say, for instance, that um, you know, I have dreams where I am not who I am now, where I may be dreaming back when I was in high school or in college, but those dreams are fairly far and few between compared to dreams of who I am now. Right. Um, so yeah, he probably does dream about being Joey. He just maybe doesn't dream about being Joey every day. He probably dreams a lot more about his son and his daughter and his wife. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think it has to be an either or I I think you could very easily be all of the above. You know, I, I think like you said, the family at the end, I think he's both accepted and, Things aren't going to be the same, but it's okay that things aren't going to be the same. They're accepting him anyway. You know, they they all perform. Well, the daughter gets him a plate to join him at the dinner table. The son, you know, passes him the meatloaf. You know, the wife kind of looks at him and, and gives him a look that seemed to be an approving look. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no one has said we're going. You never get the sense out of that that we are forgetting who you are. They've just right. incorporated it. Well, I, and I don't even know if it's incorporated. They've incorporated it as in they know now his history. But I believe they believe he is the person they've always known up until that point more than anything else. Well, and other words, all, all of that is true. Yeah. I think that's what Mike is trying to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I don't want to put words in your mic there, words in your mouth, Mike. No, I'm just saying he's everything. He's all of it. He's all. Yeah. He's all of one. He's all. They're all one. One continuum. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no matter what your your past, though, your past, it's still your past. You know. So so it's past you by. So you can say I'm not that person anymore. But it's still your past. It's your identity. So. 
you're you're absolutely right, Mike. I mean, uh, well, it depends on who you ask. <laughs> that 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 that, that uh, is true. We're that all is on true. the same page here, but like if you, um, if you ask a born again Christian if they're the same person they were before they were born again, they'll tell you no. That's true. That's true. And then you you can have people that will never forgive. You know, you know. Let's say you you're a raging, some someone is a raging bigot, and then you now support the you know uh, rights of somebody there's always going to be someone that's a well won't forgive you um because that's still your past mm-hmm. you, you know and your present to them doesn't matter you know if you if, or if you go to jail you know you you were drunk driving you killed someone you could still kill someone but you may be a better person but there's always going to be someone that says yeah that, that doesn't matter and and in the law in this case, if, if the law ever discovered that Joey Cusack was Tom Stahl and vice versa, Tom would be arrested and go to jail. Well, you know, I I don't know if the police are aware of the whole situation at all. It seems like the mob was all just trying to keep that internal. Well, that's true. Uh, but let's just say they find out that Joey Cusack. Well, actually, that, that's the thing is, is when the local town cop sheriff, he says, yeah, so I looked up these guys, Fogarty and Cusack, Joey Cusack. And, um, and he said, you know, Fogarty has this, this, uh, and his henchman Cunningham was another one, you know, good Irish names. Um, they, they were arrested for, for this. They were uh, questioned for at least 10 murders on and on. And then he goes, I couldn't find anyone named Joey. But I did find someone named Richie and with the same last name, and he's like a big guy, big, big guy mob, a really bad guy. And I'm curious if Joey – I mean, he may have done some terrible things inside the mob itself to other mobsters. But it wouldn't surprise me, being in the Irish mob, that he may have done some bad things that – the cops just don't know about yet. Like, like, yeah, you know, I mean, well, and that's what good. I'm saying. You're saying if, if his identity with a yeah. different name is revealed that the police will come get him. I'm just saying, I don't know if that's true. Cause it seems that, like yeah. everything that's being acted upon in, in the movie is internal to the mom. That's all. That's yeah. Yeah. You're right. That's a fair point because it, the reason he's Tom stall isn't because he's running away from the police. Right. The reason he's Tom stall is because he's running away from the Irish mob. Exactly. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, so yeah, so th- this is a uh, so yeah, that, that's really the main crux of the whole thing is the violence that he does in saving the people at, and himself at the diner is what may spark off his son. But but the thing that I thought was awesome about the screenwriting or I should say the the original graphic novel. I mean, it comes right from there. Is when he is a hero for stopping a robbery, and th- there's two things happen. One is people question, like, how the heck does he know? How the heck, or what what gave him the guts to do that and the ability to do it? Meaning, mm-hmm. so good with the gun, so good with karate, you know, uh, whatever martial arts that he was doing, mm-hmm. and. The second thing was he goes on 
uh, TV. He doesn't do any interviews, but you know they just follow him, and so he, he's on TV because of that. And they get all you need is a, the local picture of him uh, from the better, uh, you know, the the local business bureau, and they they put it in the front page of the paper and on TV, and then suddenly you got people in Philadelphia. Since this is kind of even though it's not a, it's a local story. Joey. Yeah, even though it's not a local story, as we know, the mainstream media, besides being uh, owned by corporations and wanting clicks and all that other stuff, they also grab sensational stories to get those clicks. And And it leads it leads. Exactly. And this story is kind of interesting. Here's a, a guy with no military training who saved the day in this local small town in Indiana. And... Let's what you know. Let's let's lead with it, and boom, it pops up on the Philadelphia local uh, television station or or the Philly Enquirer or whatever the newspaper is there, and boom, Fargety and Richie and everybody sees his picture and they go, "Holy shit, that's Joey! He's been gone for twenty years. He just disappeared. That's him." And I thought that was an awesome idea, and uh, I'm sure any author wishes. They had thought of that idea. So I, th- I think this story was pretty tight. Yeah, it's not, it's not bad. Um, I, I particularly enjoyed um, the dramatic part of the relationship with his wife. Because um, you can see that she's like, her initial instinct is like, you lied to me this whole time, F you, I'm out. But she still loves them. They're still parents to their kid. And eventually she's put in a position and she's like, screw it, I'm with him. He's my husband. Um, And decides to support him and whatever he needs to do to take care of things. Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a second. So um, there's an interesting scene earlier in the film before any of the uh, violence with Tom Stahl happens um, where they head out to some, uh, I don't know, some little shack or something. I don't know what it was. And uh, they have a, a afternoon delight and she dresses up as a cheerleader. Um, so, you know, you just do some role playing, I guess. And I think at first she's horrified about Joey, but, then it's almost like she he's in her eyes he's role playing as a gangster and that makes her kind of um randy i guess and so I, I think that was intentional too because she's fighting that okay he's a criminal and he lied to me and my my even my last name is fake because he, i married someone named Tom Stahl, and that's not even his name, and now my name's Stahl, and my kid's name's a Stahl. You know, it, technically they should all be Cusack. Um, but she's she's also kind of hot for the idea that he's a gangster, too, because they still have that stairway scene, as Mike brought up earlier, that shouldn't have happened, but it does happen, and then she allows it to happen, and then afterwards, she's kind of disgusted that it happened because then it comes back to the fact that reality's back, you know, after the, the moment that that's not Tom Stahl. 
Well, I think I first of all, I love that the I didn't remember it. Uh, maybe I didn't take note of it the first time I saw it, but I love the thing with the name. Um, and it's the thing as a as a guy you don't maybe think of as much, right? But the wife gave up her family name for his family name, right? And we know, like, when we were younger, like, girls would be like, you know, I am Mrs. Eric Webster, whatever, you know, just, like, fantasize about whoever taking the name of whoever it is they happen to be dating at the time. That's a big thing for many women, right, is, is, is taking the name of the, of their husband. And, and that symbolizes that not only is, is her, his identity a lie, but that makes her identity a lie and their kids' identities a lie. And it, I thought it was such an interesting thing that again, from, uh, from a guy's point of view, I don't know if I had, would have even considered that or thought of that. Uh, and I just really love that they made it an issue of it. Right, right, and and that's another interesting aspect of the story, right? Yeah, because it's 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 it plays it smart because she has to now reevaluate everything about her entire life, and that that is a pretty pretty uh, hard thing to do when your entire existence is shattered um, because of it. Um, is and and it's also not just things like the last name and and whatever but it's also I, I my 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 husband is running away from the Irish mob was part of the Irish mob that's pretty bad i i'm you know and if and if you're a religious person I, um you you would look at it's like is my I, i'm trying to live a good life and my husband may be living a lie and he could be burning in hell when he's dead and, and I'm married to that type person who did these terrible things. And then you also have the fact that she's now worried about other Fargetys around. Are they going to kill me and, and my two children? Never mind my husband. So right. It's she, a lot. She, it sure is. It's, it's like crazy a lot, you know? And, and what happens if the cops find out about the, the real story, you know, they'll maybe they'll, you know, so even, even if, the mob is out of the picture. The local cop already thinks something's fishy. And what happens if he starts doing research and then he eventually find out that Joey has something in his background that is actually illegal, you know? So and, and never mind the fact that he took a name illegally and, and whatnot. Okay, sure, he's been paying his taxes for the past 19 years as Tom Stahl, but you can't just change your name without going through the, the government. So technically the IRS or someone could go come after him for a stupid crime, never mind a real crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it must've been, uh, a bit, a big, uh, moment, but I like what you said, Eric, which is even though she's pissed and she, she's still pissed at him at, in the end of the day, she's going to b- back, you know, back her husband because she could have came right out when the local sheriff came right by and, and she didn't, she decided that, and, and he was shocked. Tom, Tom Stahl slash Joey was actually thought she wanted to go public with the, to the sheriff, but she didn't. And she covered, covered. Well, and that was the she moment was about to she do made it. the decision too. Yeah. Yeah. The, the moment she starts lying for him, that's she's in. Right. 
But I do think there's, um, yeah, it's definitely like a primal thing, right? That whole alpha male, uh, women attracted to the bad guy. Um, look, there's something very testosterone about going around and murdering people. <laughs> there's a reason why prisons tend to be filled with men. Um, you know, so, yeah, I found that very plausible, right, that she's got these very conflicted emotions, that she's just as we are, right? We like to go watch movies about the Godfather. We don't want to live next door to Tony Soprano, though. Right? There's that, 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 that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we we heard about the terrible story about uh, John Gotti, where his neighbor te- technically he had he was on good terms with his neighbor, and then his neighbor one day backed out of his driveway and ran over and killed um Gotti's like five year old kid. And within a month uh he, he disappeared. And well, he yeah. wasn't part connected to the mob. Yeah, I mean I haven't backed over that many five year old kids. I, I but I usually fathers would have reacted the same way. Usually yeah, usually the, the, the fathers don't react well when that happens. Uh mothers usually aren't all that happy about it either. You know, it's uh, uncles Right. But what my point you know, was, grandparents it, my point was my point was it wasn't uh an intentional or nor was it uh evil. It was unfortunate. Well and I think was, it's it's sorry. the zoo metaphor again, right? That um we wanna watch these people in movies, we wanna watch these people on TV. We don't want them out of their cage though we want them at a distance where it's safe we don't want to get put in the bear cage we just want to stand outside the bear cage and look at the bear and point at the bear and go look at the silly bear right you know it's like you know same thing all these people who get fascinated um with serial killers right um there is a website i won't mention where they will um yeah, it's it's like a website sells horror T-shirts and whatnot, but they also sell like serial killer T-shirts. <laughs> right, right. And for me, that's that's creepy. I understand being fascinated by Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, but I don't, don't want to wear his fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm not at the. I don't want this. I don't. I don't want the bubblegum cards. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 I hear you. Uh, that's where it goes creepy. But even then, that's because those and those people that do want the Jeffrey Dahmer shirt, they wouldn't want to meet. Well, obviously Dahmer's dead, but they don't want to meet those guys in in real life. Well, here's the thing: though, a lot of them unless they're mentally they ill, got nothing to do with this movie. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but but I see what Mike's getting at, which is um, the what. That's the thing, uh, and Cronenberg kind of goes with it in his commentary too, which is she likes it and she hates it. Yeah. She, you know, I mean, she loved her life prior, and but that's th- throws a wrench in everything. Yet it also was interesting to her as well. But go on, Mike. But that's that's human relationships. Almost none of us have a person that we love absolutely everything about, 
right? We all have things that we like about each other and that we don't like about each other. It's part of what drives gossip, right? It's just, how could you believe what they did? Thus, they could be your, your, your best friend. It could be your wife. It could be your husband. We all do things that at some point or another, other people don't get, they don't understand, or, you know, that, that, that just drives them nuts, right? Which is why you have to really think um, before, you, before you decide to be with a person, look at the shit they do that drives you crazy and realize that's what they're going to do every day for the rest of your life. You're not changing the way they eat their breakfast cereal or whatever, or the sound of their, their laugh. You're well, not you also got to determine, does it really even matter, too, right? Like, yeah. If the sound of the laugh bothers you, maybe it's you that's the problem and not them. Maybe. But. With it doesn't the, matter if it's but you're bothered, you're bothered. Right. right. You you have to make the decision to live with it or not. Right. What is a thing? And it could be something smaller. It could be something large. I like I like him so much, but he's a pedophile. I don't think I can make this work. And that's where, 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 yeah, that is the the problem is with you, not with them. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're already in jail, so now now it's your problem because you're the one that is attracted right. to them. Um, but yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing is that I I don't even though the stairwell scene happens, I still don't think. Um. I think she would go back to prior before without knowing that he was Joey, Joey Cusack. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the cat. She never would have been with him in the first place, probably in the first place. But now that she's with him. Right. Yeah. For 19 years, probably. Maybe, you know, she can make it work. Right. Right. Yeah, well, and, and to be honest, he's still Tom Stahl to her because he's not doing the Joey things. Right. The only reason he does those two acts of violence is because, one, it's a robbery, and the two, Fogarty is, is going to kill them all or, or, or force them or going to kill him. And, and, and he actually lost anyway, and he was about to accept his fate, and his son saves him. So those acts were byproducts of his past, but he was not living his past anymore. Um, so I think that's why she could go with it. But I don't know. Um well, so yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, to, to bring it up to, to speed, uh, um, after um, he's on the news, suddenly these three strangers appear at the local diner, and they start calling him Joey. And he says, "No, my name's Tom. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know. You must be mistaking me." And Vigo Mortensen's character. Um, he plays it really good because you would never believe, even though he knows it's 
Fogarty, and he knows they know who he is. He plays it right out that oh, I'm sorry, I'm not. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, and Fogarty plays it perfectly too at Harris by saying, "It's like I just saw you yesterday." You know, so they they're here because basically what happened is he fled the mob, and he also took Fogarty's eye uh, with a barbed wire. And Fargy has uh, one eye that's that's, I guess, gone, um, destroyed. Can't see out of it. It's so, fogged. It's fogged over. What I don't understand is why he didn't just pull out a gun and blow him away right then and there. Uh, because then he would go to jail. Well, he hasn't yet. Oh, you're talking about you're talking about oh because well either way I don't think they could do it. If anything. So if, if Fargy pulled out the gun and killed Joey, he's going to jail. And if Joey pulled out the gun and killed Fargy, Joey's going to jail. Because so, I think he, I think he just. You really don't think the mobsters could get away from the small town cops? Uh, no, because everybody's seen him and and he's he's done. I think he just wants him to admit it. Yeah. I think he wants him to admit who he yeah, is. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That he's Joey. Because it's when he admits he's Joey, that's when he gets he's about to get killed. You see that look on Ed Harris's face that there it is. There you go. I mean, the guy's got one good eye and we don't even know how good that is. So and it has been in what, 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. So I can understand like wanting to make sure that you got the guy that you wanted. Right. He doesn't want to mistakenly kill a civilian. Mm-hmm. He wants to make sure he is killing the person that took his eye. I guess that's fair. Um, and if he just killed him as is, right? Then would, no, there would always be a doubt. There would always be a doubt, and hey, then you know it could always—he hasn't ruined his life, right? He hasn't ruined his family's life. Well, I mean, he has, but the family will never know that this was Joey. They'll just think that Tom was was innocently Martin. executed. Yeah. Right, right. Now, if this film was made in 2021, uh, he would have uh, waited for Tom Stahl to put down a glass, and he was snuck the glass out the, and brought it back to Philadelphia and, and tell a, a doctor to check the DNA on the glass. And if it matches Richie, then that's Joey, and we can just kill him. <laughs> right. Uh, but this is 2005. Okie dokie. I'll just be <laughs> But it makes sense. That's actually a really good thing idea. You know, all you have to do is get the well, DNA. Except I'm pretty sure. Well, maybe a mob doctor, but I'm pretty sure if you just wander randomly into a doctor's office with a glass, they're not going to do a DNA test for you. Well, yeah, but you got to remember that's it's it's the Philly cops, right? And, and mm. they're crooked. They're all getting paid off, you know. Mm. You never know. You never know. I mean, if if you ask ask the uh, the rioters, they say, yeah, they're all crooked. So maybe maybe they would do it. Um, so yeah, so so he's just basically like Mike saying, trying to drag it out until he admits it. Um, and and even at the point when Joey does admit he's Joey, it's only because he's 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 basically done. He's been shot, and I don't think Ed Harris's character Fargety would have even pulled out a, you know, done anything to Joey until he was in the car. 
Because basically what it was is it was going, quote unquote, as, as uh, Edward G. Robinson would say in the 1930s film, we're going for a ride, Muggsy. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're going for a ride. And then it's curtains for you. But the problem is. <laughs> You're being a weirdo. <laughs> well, yeah. well, I just saw, I just saw Edward G. Robinson on the big screen. But, um, but the thing is, is that that's really what he wanted to do. Though. He wanted to get him in the car. And take him for a ride, and and basically kill him, you know, off, so no one knows that he killed him. But he did it himself, and he's happy. Um, and the only reason the gunshots happen is because Tom Stahl takes out everybody um, at that time mm-hmm. when he was he's trying to get him in the car. Um, and then uh, the sun blows away. Um, Fargety, and uh, that was pretty shocking too, because it's still early in the film. Because we still got like thirty minutes left, and then, then that leads to the third act, and and this is where you, like said, you had some issues with, um, and it definitely wasn't as good as the first two acts, and it's not because of the issues that Mike has with it, in my opinion. My opinion is the whole mystery of. Tom Stahl being Tom Stahl or Joey Cusack was more interesting than the third act. That's why, but I still thought the third act was awesome. It's just that, that first hour when we have this stranger come into town and say, you're Joey Cusack. And this guy's like, what, who, what are you talking about? Um, is just a, such an awesome story that I think that overshadows the last 30 minutes. But, Mike, you may think otherwise, and I think our youth, or it was either you, Mike, that said it was kind of strange, odd, the, the second, the third act, because it was a little weird. But it, it is. Um, apparently, William Hurt got nominated for his role. For he sure, did. sure um, did. Oh, I loved his performance in this job of acting, but the 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 actual story piece of it was just a little weird. It's just it, like, well, okay, so your brother is is going to whack you because you went into hiding? Uh, all right. To. Yeah, he has to because when when you're in the mob and, and, and when you see Goodfellas, whenever that is, Eric, and that may be an eventual cinema a la carte. But what happens is if you – there's two types of mobsters. There's the ones that are made and the ones that aren't. The ones that are made are considered untouchable. And then there's the the ones that are not made, and they don't have those privileges. So if an unmade person does something terrible to one of the made men, that's basically automatic execution. So when Joey does what he does to Fargety with the eye, never mind running so he can't face consequences and never mind killing Fargety later in life that requires Joey to be uh, at least face consequences Joey obviously was hoping that his brother would let it go but his brother has to kill have his own brother executed because the mob and his life in the mob is more uh, strong than family ties because if he doesn't kill Joey and he knows where Joey is, then he himself 
has become someone that has to face consequences. Well, he says he still hasn't gotten out from under the debt that he put him in. That's right. That he's still, that he's stupid. Yeah. But he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah. But it looks like you're doing pretty good here, Richie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. But I'm under the behind the eight ball. (laughs) Yeah. I I see my my favorite line in the whole movie is how do you fuck fuck that up? And then he shoots him. Pretty awesome. And he's, no, then he starts kicking him. He goes, and then he shoots him. That's awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. It was awesome. But anyway, no, my, my my issue with it is is that it's not only is it not as good as the first hour, it's not as good because I don't think it's as interesting, right? And that um, mm-hmm. I, I don't really care about his brother. I don't care about who he was before in that regard. We have resolved the issue. We've gotten gotten rid of the primary antagonist, and now we're having, going to have him walk into danger. No, I know they justify saying, "Well, they're going to send more people." Right, right. Um, that feels more to... like it feel, but that's why it feels more like it's its own little mini sequel rather than part of the same story. Right. Um, you know, it's because you now introduce a brand new villain and we're completely separated from everybody else that we've been dealing with the entire film. And that's why I said it feels more like an epilogue, but it's like a 30 minute epilogue. The story ended an hour in uh, when he kills Ed Harris or when his son kills Ed Harris. That's that's to me where the story naturally ends. Mm-hmm. Um and then you can make a story, and you could certainly ask, like, well, are there going to be consequences? Well, yes, there's going to be consequences um, as a result of this. Well, and um, even now, I mean, does it end there, or is the mob going to send even more people? Right. So this is the kind of thing where there isn't necessarily an ending. And most of the film does such a really good job of that. Uh, this happens because that happens. Right. Of the one thing happening because of what happened and, and naturally events feeding into each other, that this that it's. Um, you know, that there, everything happens for cause, nothing happens necessarily just really for coincidence um, or, you know, that he doesn't just happen to get his face on the news. His face is on the news because he murders two people or kills two people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um you know, on all these things happen because of something else. There's always a preceding event for every little event. The only thing that doesn't are stuff that exists beforehand, like the bully, right? The bully exists because he's a bully and that's part of the story. Um, although I, you know, you can even say the bully bullies him because he, he snags his fly ball instead of giving him his moment of triumph of having a home run. Mm-hmm. There's always a cause and there's always effect. And then then they kind of sort of do a weak justification of why he has to go back and find Richie um, to settle well, up. I don't, know. I don't know if it's weak, because, again, you know, we, we've seen good, good – I know Eric hasn't, but me and you have seen Goodfellas, and we know what, what, it, what it all means. So, if, But if, at that point, they haven't told us the story. We don't know what his issue is. No, but he, um, he makes it clear just, during that phone call. He's like, you come see me or I'm going to come see you. That's right. Yeah, but again, that's adding. When was that phone call? 
Am I misremembering when that is in the it was, film? It was the night that night after Fargety gets taken out. Right. So this is all stuff that happens after Fargety dies. So they have to come up with a reason to continue the story. Mm-hmm. But right, that's that's my point. But but the story doesn't end with the death of Fargety. The story ends. I know that's my point is that if the story does end with the death of Fargety, they they decided to carry it on. We don't know anything about what happened. When Fargety dies, well, yeah, we as well, an audience well, would be perfectly. Here's here's the thing, the story's not over when Fargety dies. However, they could have chosen to end the movie there. They chose not to move the end the movie there, and they give this this this, this last piece with his brother, but the story doesn't end there either. Either. So what was the point? Right. Right, it just my point is it feels disconnected from what came I'll before. Tell you what the, I'll tell you what the point is. The point is for for Joey, he becomes Tom Stahl because he he destroys his his past with the ending of Richie because he went there for one or two reasons. One was to have tell Richie because he goes he goes Richie, I'm here to make it right. And then he does puts his hands in it, you know, like he's gonna pray when he's saying it. And if Richie said okay, then he, he his he buries his past. The other option was if Richie says no, then he's gonna bury his past a different way. But the reason he went to Philly was to bury Joey forever, okay. one way or the other. All right, I'll buy it. Yeah, I no, I get that. It just still feels like a disconnected story. It still feels like it is separate from everything else that preceded it. It feels well, more like the sequel it than it does feel like the, the it feels like the you know the, the sequel to the movie that we had before rather than the a part of the movie we had before. I understand what you're saying. I'm, right. I'm not saying I don't like the story. I, I like I think that William Hurt is is hysterical in it. Um you know it's, it's I, I like the way that it plays off. Um, it's just a story that to me doesn't have a lot of meat because it's building off of a di- character dynamic that we've had established for about 30 seconds, right? You know, this is all building off the history and, and interplay between these two brothers that we don't really know anything about, that we're not in any way invested in. And it feels like it's its own separate story and it should have been. A history of violence too. Not that Cronenberg maybe wanted to do a sequel. It just, or maybe had been fleshed out to a whole other mm-hmm. hour. I, I, well, I, I I see your point, and I, I, I it's valid. But I guess it's kind of like Full Metal Jacket. How Full Metal Jacket is really two separate films, <laughs> right? That true. happen to have a, a you know a shared character. Yeah, that's true. But this one here, I don't feel. I didn't feel it that way though. I I felt it was fine and that it worked because when the sheriff says there's a guy named Richie uh, Cusack, I don't know any Joey, but there's a guy and he's a really bad fellow and all this other stuff. That that was your Chekhov's gun that something was going to happen with whoever this Richie is. And then no, the Chekhov's gun was the shotgun. <laughs> and then when 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 Fargety gets taken out and we still got it. You know that movie's only an hour in. You you figure, okay, this is this is the the Richie part. So I I was prepared for that, and 
I also was prepared for it because, again, this is where he was going to try to make closure for his prior life. And again, if he wasn't the powerhouse that he was in, you know, the, the fight skills that he has, whatever, and gun skills that he has, whatever, you could argue that by him going, there was a chance he wasn't coming back. But if he didn't go, he was, he was a dead man. So, I think only because it's only because the author decided to go there with it, because because like Eric said, we still have the problem that exists now. It's still there. Maybe, maybe I, again, I don't know. I mean, you're right. I mean, maybe maybe it stopped with Richie, and once Richie is, finally pays the price because he dies from Joey's hands, that ends Joey's issue with the mob. I would just say if they'd done like a Tarantino chapter break right there and introduced as a second segment and, and fleshed that second half of the story out more, seen more of what was going on in Philadelphia, explored more about his relationship with his brother, I would have been more emotionally invested in it. For me, the emotional catharsis of the story ends right. when well, Ed I, Harris gets shot. Well, for me... I didn't okay, need you, all that. You two are going in circles. Can we just agree to disagree here? No. Yeah. I said yeah. <laughs> my um, but but all, all I wanted to say was the reason I was fine with it was because we knew Fogarty was not the mob boss, and so he had or or the the mob the lieutenant. So when and we knew that there was another Cusack out there, and then when you find out it's his brother. But yeah, I see, I still see your point, Mike. But I, 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 I just yeah. As Eric said, we will agree to disagree. Uh, it's just not to say it wasn't good. Just that it feels like an odd fit. Right, and again, I, right. I, I will, I will disagree. On that. I, I felt it was so. Let's wrap this up. Um. Well, what was was just let me ask this. Uh, what did you guys think of Richie? Do you think he? Was there? I mean, I, I don't know. I think he was self-interest, right? Because, and he was greedy too. Because he's blame. He, I think he was more upset about his brother making him not become higher in the mob than um, anything else. In other words, he didn't get like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seemed like he was. A, well, I mean, he is your favorite word, or one of your yeah. five favorite words, which is he's a sociopath. <laughs> which you have to be to be a mob boss, right? Yeah. Uh, you don't last long if you feel bad about the people you're extorting and murdering and hooking on heroin. So um, I'm sure he loves his brother in his way, but his brother's an inconvenience. He got to go. Um, yeah. yeah, the brother has put himself in, put him in a bad spot. Um, right. But yeah, yeah, well, and that's the thing is that he could have just let his brother go. And poof, he just disappears again. But it was still more important for him to kill his brother so he can move up in the mob. Right. And we know the mob people hold grudges. What? Right. That's that, yeah. that's a thing. Trust me, I come from an Italian family. Hmm. Right. Um, right. Grudges. I'm writing this down. Yeah, so it's quite wanted. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And... and <laughs> 
uh, yeah, right. Well, and especially like you said, if if they're sociopaths, and in this case, this guy's a sociopath. Say it again, Phil. Sociopath. There you go. Feel better. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll 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 change it up a little. He's a psychopath. <laughs> or if you even prefer better, a behavioral health individual. Whackadoodle. Indeed. Um. All right. So, any further things anybody want to say about a history of violence? Any scenes or anything that we missed that were on your agenda to talk about tonight? Well, little things like um, I got a kick out of in the beginning of the film. The like you see Jack and his girlfriend or whatever she is, and uh, the girl that wants to be his girlfriend, talking about how you know what people would have done back in the day. You know, that's kids right. would do driving up and down the street, driving up and down the street. Yeah. right? Then that's their idea of what it means to be bad. That uh, they have the scene uh, where Tom and his wife, where the, the wife is dressed up in her cheerleader outfit, which, by the way, you know, bringing the the, the past into the present. Um, I mean, she like she calls him a naughty boy and a bad boy, and it's like, oh, she's got no idea. This whole thing of these people yeah, who are living fun. in their own insulated world as to what they think of as bad. You know, which is just so far from what real bad in the world is. Well, and I think relative, that's right. Well, it's all relative. I think it goes back to that, that we're isolated. We're a little insulated from from violence, from that aspect of who we are, um, of human nature. That is a part of our history, our evolutionary history. Um, well, I every, think everything is local. Right. I mean, if we didn't have the Internet and the news and all this other TV crap that we had, you know, like this was uh, 1910, um, a local small town in middle middle of Indiana ain't going to give a rat's ass what's going on uh, between Russia and, and and Imperial Germany. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting just that the name Mr. Stahl, right, like, you know, his life is stalled. Uh, but I also got a kick that one of the henchmen was Mr. Mulligan. Yeah, you know, Mulligan getting, and Rourke. Because he's getting a do-over. Oh. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah I, and I, I yeah, couldn't I find one. Him, but I meant to say Mulligan, but all the Irish people have the same last name. Anyway, yeah. sorry. So I just thought that was an interesting one. I also like that he basically woke up over a cup of coffee. Explain that one. That they, they, they re-awoke Joey. Right? It was black coffee that woke Joey up. Because... <laughs> In the hospital, you mean? No, no it literally, like the guy comes oh, in, orders oh, orders oh, black oh, coffee, oh. and it's the black coffee that he used that wakes Joey up twice because first it's it's the 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 punks from the beginning, and then it's Ed Harris who orders the black coffee, you know, yeah. black coffee, and it wakes up Joey. So I thought that was kind of an interesting. T- I don't know if that was deliberate because let's be honest, he owns a diner. People do sometimes order coffee in diners. It doesn't have to be symbolic or anything, right. but it. it but it certainly kind of works. It sure does, yeah. Um, yeah, so those are just a couple of little things. I'm looking at my notes now. Um, For that I had noted. At the beginning, at the very, very beginning of the movie, because it had been a while since I've seen this, and I didn't look anything up beforehand. I just threw it on. For, for a second, I thought that one dude was Matthew McConaughey. I was like, wait. Is oh, that yeah, the young kid. Who, Mulligan? Yeah, yeah the younger Billy. guy. Billy, <laughs> Billy. Oh, oh, Billy. 
Is that no? No, I can't. That's not. He's not a no. <laughs> he's a guy that he's a guy that looks like a guy, but he isn't that guy. He's another guy. But you swore he's that guy, right? And in this case, I thought it was Matthew McConaughey. Uh, I hate these. Uh, what, what does he say? What type of town is he called? Ho Bucket Town or something? Like Ho Dunk. Ho Dunk. I hate. I hate these Ho Dunk towns. Yeah. And I and I and I never realized until that moment that I'm not entirely sure how you spell podunk. P o d u n k. I figure that's probably what it is, but I was I, like, I don't think I've I've heard the word. I've know the word. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever actually written the word before. I don't even know if I've ever seen it spelled before. <laughs> I just right. how, how are you going to spell it though? I, I don't I'm know. The, I'm, the, I'm the other way around. I've read all these words, but I've never heard them spoken, and so I always mispronounce them. Like, oh, and I, I'll go. There's words that go both ways, but I mean, podunk is not a word that I usually see written in in things that I read. You don't, you know, it's right, a, right. A, you know, even though I've read plenty of stories set in podunk towns. Um, it's archaic. It's an archaic word, so you don't. Yeah, it's not that common. That's true. right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Um, yeah, so those those are those are good good ones, Mike. Uh, the coffee one, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, uh, anything else, Mike? No, I think those those were about it. I think we hit on just about everything. Um, that was there. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, and this was uh, one of the films, the first films, uh, Cronenberg used Mortison and. Uh, since the, that this film here, Mortison uh, has been in many of Cronenberg's films, um, so he's one of Cronenberg's stable of actors that he likes working with. Um, and this film also was was one of the films that jump started Mortison to a lista as well. Um, well, I mean, he just did Lord of the Rings, so <laughs> that, might that helped. Something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, but let's true. be but let but but let's also be honest. You know, people didn't assume that Viggo Mortensen is what made Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you know, that's, that's if, if, it, was, it was ensemble cast. Even though he was huge, and people were, or some critics said that he should have been nominated, and they actually thought he would have been nominated for Best Actor in the third film until they found out his role wasn't as large. But um, yeah, the first two films, he, he was he was kind of. <laughs> dominated even if it was a ensemble cast I think. right right i mean sort of like harrison ford right it's harrison ford wouldn't have had a as huge a career if all he had was star wars right he needed raiders of the lost ark to kind of cement right what he right. was that he wasn't just han solo um right so i think it certainly it certainly helped his career it certainly helped extend his career that he was successful in a thing that was critically acclaimed and did not involve him picking up a sword. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Or a bow and arrow or a cloak. Right. right, uh, right. Cause, yeah. Cause after this film, he did uh, Eastern promises with Cronenberg and then he did another a, good film. Method. Yeah. Yeah. That was another good film. And then a dangerous method, uh, with, with Cronenberg, uh, which the horse I have one he did the, the, the horse one. Didn't he do one about racing a horse in the desert? It's all go. Oh. That's it. Wasn't that him? With no name? Uh, yes. Yeah, that was him. That was him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was him. Yeah. And then he was in the the road. That was a good one. 
Um, and then of course green. The, the green the green book too that was right. huge. Um, um, by the way, if you want to if you want to feel old, I I don't know if this is true or not, but this I was off of IMDb. If if this, this was the I, apparently the last Hollywood film to be released on VHS. What? Yeah. Interesting. Fuck. Uh, also, <laughs> also, and now it's fifteen years old. What the? Uh, also, fuck. also ah. Vigo Mortensen is sixty-two years old now, which is crazy. Uh, yeah. Oh, he was also. Which mad. which means he was younger than when we were, Phil, when he made this movie. Yeah, that's true. That's crazy. All right, uh, let's stop talking now. Uh, well, the one last thing I want to say was he was also awesome in uh, Crimson Tide. Remember that? He was really good in that. Oh, was he in that? Yeah, he played the. the, the I think he played the the second, uh, no, third in command. And yeah, and uh, I think he. Is this one of these things where, like where they go back in time and insert him in the movie after we know who he is, and you go, oh, how did he end up in that movie? He was never there before. Yeah, I think was, that's right. He was in the prophecy too. No, I actually remembered him because his character was was I felt the best character in uh, the Crimson Tide, besides Gene Hackman just being awesome. But uh, his character, I felt, was the most morally correct out of all the characters. So I, I liked his character. So I remembered him. Don't ask me why. Uh, so, so when I started seeing him later, I go, "That's the guy from yeah." So whatever. Um. All right, so yeah, I guess we can wrap it up. Um, since we're um, pretty much uh, done recording for the night, we'll just get into our uh, house cleaning stuff. So uh, before we give our final thoughts on this one, uh, Eric, you actually do another podcast with your buddy Dan. I do. It's a general interest podcast called the Scancy Podcast. That's spelled A S K A N C I T Y. You can find it wherever you got this one. Excellent. And uh, Mike, me, you, and Eric. Uh, do another podcast on the Dark Discussions News Network? That would be the Dark Discussions podcast? Question mark? And what's that all about? We just had our 10th year anniversary, too. What, what's going on? What, what is this? Oh, yeah. Dark Discussions podcast is your source for all uh, for horror films, fiction, and all that is fantastic. And it's mostly a horror movie podcast. We do occasionally do um, uh, for, horror for literature. And occasionally related TV and occasionally darker science fiction uh, and fantasy. But it is mostly horror of one sort or another or dark thrillers. Um, if there's rape involved, there's a really good chance we'll discuss it. Uh, only if it's Australian. Only if it's Australian. <laughs> right. If someone's raping a wallaby, you know it's a dark discussions film. Um, and right now, I don't know what our lineup is anymore. Because uh, we, we had been in a regular holding pattern for a long time, uh, and then somebody put Abe away, and we don't remember where we put him last, and he's not where we usually leave him. He's in the sock drawer. Um, uh, and Chrissy is, like, off in Hawaii, basking in the sun with her many millions of dollars from writing a best-selling novel. We're, I don't know. We're... we're, we're this other weirdo to show up. I don't know. Yeah, so we got we've got Kevin and we've got Barrett and then there's this other guy Joey who showed up. I don't know what's going Johnny, on. Johnny. Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was actually a Halloween boutique psychotronic review. So. Right. So anyway, so yeah, things are a little unsettled now. We're not quite sure where we're going to settle in. It's just that people's lives. Look, it's been ten years. Not everyone can hang on for the ten years, and no one's saying either 
Chrissy or Abe is gone and never coming back. It's just everyone's lives are a little bit in flux well, right Chrissy now. Chrissy claims she's coming back June 1st. She t- t- texted me last week to talking about it. Yeah, it's a shame because I think she's really going to enjoy tomorrow's film. <laughs> oh, maybe, actually, yeah. I think she would I would have really enjoyed that. I haven't seen uh, her tonight after this recording. Um, yeah, yeah, she, she, she contacted me when I posted about the movie Greenland and she said, Oh, I want to do that with you guys. And I said, Oh no, no, no. Wah, wah. Yeah. Sorry, Chrissy. Yeah. And she says, Oh, bummer. Yeah. But I'll be back on June 1st. Anyway. So I said, all right. Sounds good. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, so that's in flux, but we've been around for 10 years. We're planning on being around for 30 more, uh, all part of our grand plan to take over the world, uh, and force people to listen to Taylor Swift songs. Apparently. Actually, I don't force anybody to listen to Taylor Swift. Unless they're, in, unless in, they're in your car. Yeah, yeah. Well, only if they're in my car. Only if in their my car because they are too cheap to have their own vehicles. <laughs> when when it, when it's like I offer to you know, and it's like oh, whose car we take, I wouldn't do it to those folk, unless they like Taylor Swift. But, the driver gets to choose the music. That's that's right, exactly, exactly. And and actually, uh, we played my Taylor Swift when I went down to ski as a kid with Anthony. But uh, we, I also played uh, a bunch of heavy metal for him too. I had, I had a. I, I think he would have liked some wrestling jams. Wrestling jams, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, that's good. And uh, I guess we can get into our final thoughts on uh, this movie. So uh, let's start with you, Eric. Uh, I think this is a really good movie. Um, I already, I already spoke about my issues with the gun violence, so I won't get into that again, but, uh, overall, I think this is a very good movie. If you're into that kind of thing, um, it's got the word violence in the title, so you should be prepared. Uh, and if it seems like your kind of thing, check it out for sure. It's, it's well done. Exactly. Um, yeah, for uh, me, yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite films of, the modern era, uh, yeah, it's an awesome film. Um, uh, rather than just repeat all the stuff I said before, I'll just finish up the story of my mother, which was we watched the film and she immediately said, he, "That that guy, he he he's he's in the witness protection or something, or he's running for the mob because there's no way he could have done what he did to save all those people unless he had some skill from some prior life." And and I and I was like. And I had already seen the movie like two days before I go, my God, she figured it all out. God damn it. Ruined it. <laughs> but no, nah, it was uh, pretty impressive. She was uh, pretty awesome when it came to uh, uh, guessing things in films. Um, but yeah, uh, big uh, thumbs up. Big, big thumbs up. Uh, Mike. Yeah, I, I love this movie. Um, I'm glad I had a reason to revisit it. Um, you know, it's weird. You know, the library of films grows so large. You, kind of need an excuse sometimes to go back and watch a thing rather than just keep plowing ahead and watching something else you haven't seen. Uh, this is really a very, very solid entry. Um, I enjoy it a lot. And I had actually forgotten just how fun a performance uh, that William Hurt gives in the, as, uh, as Richie at the end. So yeah, I highly recommend this film. Uh, also, besides William Hurt uh, getting an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor, uh, uh, the screenwriter uh, as well, Josh Olsen, uh, received a nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, but yeah, yeah, this this film, uh, actually at that time, I think the reason, when I really think about it now, the reason I jumped on this film was because William Hurt was one of my favorite actors back in, in that day. Um, uh, and that's the reason why I watched it, because I... Uh, 
probably for one of the reasons uh, that Mike would know him from is uh, Accidental Tourist, and I loved him in that film. And and so obviously I was going to watch pretty much anything that he was in, uh, especially back in those days when it, he was still uh, pretty big. Um, but uh, anybody can find this film pretty much anywhere. Uh, you can buy the disc, the Blu-ray. I bought it uh, last year. The Blu-ray I finally upgraded. Uh, it was like ten bucks. That's it. Uh, so wherever uh, you purchase your Blu-rays, uh, most likely online because of the inventory. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, fan of Cronenberg. It's definitely a little different than most of his films. And they say that this is probably his most mainstream film. Uh, most yeah, critics probably. have said that. Yeah, yeah this yeah. or Eastern Promises, probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I haven't seen the Freud film, so... Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, um, I saw the film after Freud, and that was very artsy. Uh, the one with Robert Pattinson. Uh, it was pretty good. Uh, but, but it was... Uh, not not uh, mainstream, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, history of violence. Uh, so we'll uh, be back. Obviously, we, we got Eric is choosing the next film um, and uh, and whatnot. But uh, Eric, with all that, oh, uh, you can email us at darkdiscussions at aol dot com and www.darkdiscussions.com. Eric, leave us out, please. All right, thanks for tuning in and listening to talk about a history of violence. Come back next time, whenever that may be. We'll have another movie to talk about. Join us if you can bear it. Oh, what, what are you channeling, Abe? Jesus. <laughs>